Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Nelson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, co-founder of Battlefin, leading data platform, and a former institutional equities trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, founder of Trade the Chain, former head of institutional prime brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, former co-host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and co-founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. Welcome, B3 Nation. Thanks for joining us in Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. Alex Massioli, Mark Lepresti, John Nigerian, good to see you, the market masters. Nick from Trade the Chain joining us as well. A lot going on out there, guys. And by the way, um, just wanted to say, John and Alex, it was great talking to you guys earlier. I, I mentioned on our Twitter spaces the other day, you know, Roundtable now, you know, on the anchor of Roundtable Media, and we now are are putting all our, our all all of the street crypto is now going through us. So be looking forward to lots of good interviews to go on. Mark Lepresti, I need to have you on early next week as well, feature you up on the street. Not that you need more visibility, Mark. You get tons of visibility, but hey, it never hurts. So always a pleasure. You just got to give me a little bit of notice and I'll be happy to be there, Rob. You know that. I know. I know. You are always there, Mark. You are the man who steps up. Hey, we got a lot going on today. Um, and obviously, if you're if you're listening to this, please t- retweet the space and follow us at Get Rev Radio and follow all our speakers. Um, we're going to do some quick overviews on the market. We're, and first, we're going to introduce our sponsor in one second. I just give you guys all a heads up. We got a packed show today. We got a lot going on. We have you know a debt ceiling thing that is merging into a crisis. We have a major presidential announcement on Twitter. We'll talk about that. Nvidia stock shooting up and so much more to talk about. So it's going to be a great hour. And then we have our second hour is our B3 after show, after B3. Um, and and hope you'll stick around for that as well. Mark, Infinite Reality is our sponsor. I love that name, Infinite Reality. It's the best name. Yeah, absolutely, Robin. Listen, these guys are making truly immersive experiences for blue chip corporations a reality. Um, and they are the choice for metaverse programming for companies like Warner Brothers, uh, NASCAR, State Farm, Dell Computers, uh, Intel, and others uh, that um, have turned to infinite reality to create and bring these brands into the Web3 world by creating these truly interactive uh, experiences that allow consumers to connect with their favorite brands in ways never before possible to learn about how the guys at Infinite Reality are achieving everything that I've just described. You can go check them out at theinfinitereality.com. Hey, and Mark, since you're on a roll there with with our sponsor, why don't you start off the uh, the TradFi recap? You know, yes, yeah, yeah. You know, what what do things look like yesterday? What do things look like today? Yeah, sure. Thank you, Rob. Well. Listen, uh, yesterday was a largely risk-off session in the market um, with traders and investors responding to some of the dissension in the ranks that we read in pouring through the FOMC minutes that were released yesterday, and we'll get into some detail um, on that. Uh, Today, we had a tale of two markets, the Dow closing not too long ago, down just 0.11%, down 35.27%. The S&P up 36.04, that's a 0.88% increase. And the NASDAQ leading the charge in the green, up 213 points and change, almost one and three quarters percent, led, of course, by the incredible surge in NVIDIA. But we have a lot of very interesting uh, earnings numbers coming out uh, after hours, a surprise uh, from the gap and others, and we'll cover all of that as we get into our TradFi segment of the show. 
And John, what are you seeing out there? And and by the way, we will talk about this uh, when we talk about the debt. But the the Fitch the Fitch Fitch is Fitch is getting worried. <laughs> is that affecting the markets? Oh yeah. I mean, it's just what we spoke about on Sunday, Rob. Um, the uh, ratings agencies will be the first, uh, basically, chink in the armor uh, because one or more of them, if indeed the president uh, calls on the 14th Amendment for something it's never been called on before uh, because it's basically a budget uh, reconciliation sort of uh a fixture in our as an amendment to the Constitution. It is not a debt ceiling extender. Um, and I think a lot of uh, uh, other uh, agencies outside of our borders are likely to say, you know, it's not quite as safe in the U.S. as it was because look at them flailing around uh, with this debt ceiling. It's not just an issue because it's political theater. It's an issue because they might do something really stupid again, like the 14th Amendment, which does not apply to this particular problem that we're going to have in the next two weeks or so. Yeah, and we're going to talk more about that, guys, as we go into the show a little bit. John, anything uh, before we move to crypto overview, anything standing out for you in the, the last couple of days or in the next couple of days in the markets? Well, I guess we only got one more in the TradFi markets this week. Because the NVIDIA move was so great, Rob, um, we we actually saw a slight diminishment in uh, volatility, um, but the uh, volatility has been moving up, not dramatically, but it has been moving up steadily uh, for the past several sessions. And were it not for that just blowout um, earnings out of Nvidia, I think we would have seen volatility continuing to extend into. The holiday weekend tomorrow should only be uh, probably about an hour of trading, and by then everybody that really would pull the trigger on big trades will be off the floors, uh, whether it's upstairs trading floors or downstairs. And I think we're all sort of anticipating a quiet session tomorrow. All's quiet. I wish we could say the same about Washington and the debt, Alex. You know, we know we know Dr. J is a big fan of volatility. The crypto markets, how are they looking? And and curiously, crypto people don't love volatility, although I would imagine it, it has its value there as well, right? Well, first of all, as Dr. J uh, mentions, you know, make volatility uh, great again. I've said that a few times. We really need it in this market. Now, the average investor is going long. Uh, looking for year-over-year -year appreciation doesn't like volatility necessarily, but hey, traders do, uh, whether it's TradFi or whether it's in the cryptocurrency markets. But let me tell you where we're at today because it's painting a very light picture. Cryptocurrency total market cap up $1.1 even on the day, with another light $31.5 traded. Now, to put that in perspective, folks, $31.5 traded today, and it's about the number I've been spewing out for the last handful of sessions, uh, that we've been uh, doing here on Twitter Spaces is about 30% of what the average volume was just four months ago. Um, Bitcoin gained, uh, Bitcoin was even as well, sitting at 26,450 on only 13.86 billion traded. Um, and not only that, but it has a daily sentiment score on the trade chain dashboards of a bearish 39. So once again, we're down. It was up in the 40s earlier. Uh, making it a neutral score. Trading volume was off 11.5%. I'm going to bore you. Similar story with Ethereum as well. Even at 1807 on a day, 6.3 exchanging hands and trading volume there down 13%. We really need more volatility back into this market. We can't seem to break the 30,000 BTC resistance price, um, which is what everybody's hoping for. And Nick, let me bring you in. Are we going to see? Are we going to see Bitcoin hit twenty five? It definitely is possible. The longer that we stay underneath the twenty six point five or twenty six point k level, it really depends on where you're drawing your lines. But my line in the sand right now is twenty six point five k, which we've been under since 
early morning on Wednesday. We do have a chance of deviation to get back above that 26.5 number, which then would we would start targeting mid 27K level. But if this level of 26.5K does not get reclaimed by the time we head into a low volume weekend, I would not be very bullish uh, going into next week. Okay, awesome. And any other any other standout highlights, you Nick, for for just the the uh, the cap on on crypto trading? Um, I you know it's it really goes down to what Alex mentioned, uh, the lack of volatility, and of course you know the lack of interest. You know I think um, you know the the market is markets are typically driven in in a narrative fashion, especially for speculative markets, and crypto is extremely speculative. The speculative um, you know kind of uh, you know compass, if you will, has very much moved into the AI realm, um, which I think is also you know adding to choke points and uh, some of the you know market makers pulling back. So we've got this kind of three, four punch set in terms of crypto volumes and volatility. So um, I think that, uh, you know, the narrative right now is all over AI and NVIDIA and, and what that's going to do. But um, I would not count crypto out because we're starting to see the narrative shift into how is crypto going to adopt and adapt to AI to bolster its value offering as well. So excited to see that in the future. But again, you know, everything's kind of running off how the majors are running. Every, every alt is a high beta asset compared to Bitcoin. And that's why we focus on Bitcoin so much. And if we can't get above this 25, 26.5K level, um, then I am not excited for longs. And I will be looking for shorts down to that 25K level that you mentioned, Rob. Awesome. And uh, choke, you talked about choke points, not to be confused uh, with, with, with choke hold, choke, choke hold 2.0. Um, let's move to, uh, let's look, we're, gonna, we're moving into our TradFi block of the show. And we're going to start with the debt ceiling debacle that's continuing. I'm going to make that our kind of macroeconomic launch, Mark, because obviously the main macroeconomic indicator we're looking at right now, if you've got some others you want to throw in, but seems to be centered around the debt ceiling and the damage that could be done, again, even if we reach a deal. You know, I said on our Sunday show, I don't think they're going to reach a deal, certainly not by June 1st. Obviously, eventually they will. Now, J.P. Morgan an economist is putting out 25% chance that they that they don't actually get the deal done um, by June 1st. I think that number is probably higher. But this is seriously turning into a problem, right? Yeah, listen, Rob, the, the odds have definitely moved more in the favor of your prognostication than mine since our show on Sunday. Not good news uh, for the American probably economy. Probably going to be the only time that's true, but oh, that's not going to be the only time my prosecution is true. Uh, come on. Hope that I doubt that highly. Um, it, it's, it's not good news for, for markets. It's not good news for American uh, consumers. It's not good news for the American economy. And it's not good news for the, for the country's credit rating. You teased out in the TradFi overview with, uh, with Dr. J a minute ago uh, about this uh, talk of a, uh, a change to the United States' credit rating, right? You, the United States' debt is rated like just about any other company or country uh, by the major credit rating agencies like Fitch and Moody's. And Fitch, late last night, announced that it put the United States AAA status on rating watch negative. And what does that mean for those that don't speak rating agencies? And I don't speak native rating agencies. My parents didn't teach it to me. That means that they are considering downgrading once again downgrading uh, uh the the debt stat the uh status the, the rating of US debt and that is one of the things that when we talk about a soft default versus a hard default a concept we borrowed a bit of course from the recession talk right are we going to have a hard or soft recession that even if a ceiling uh, even if a deal is reached on the debt ceiling Damage could be done in the process, nonetheless, and here's a great indication of that. And we do see, as John indicated, not dramatic movement in the VIX. We are starting to see some movement in the CDS, the credit default swap market, uh, the cost to protect against a default in the CO. Wow, that was that. I have no idea what that song uh, that, 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 that's credit the swap. That's the credit default swap theme song, apparently. I can't explain that. <laughs> I um, guess so. But but look, the cost to protect against a default these debt ceiling debates using credit default swaps are at its highest level 
since the last time we took it to the limit in 2011, while yields on short-term T-bills maturing after that X date remain elevated. So it's definitely starting to look more like you might be right and less like I might be right, unfortunately, about the chances of a total, uh, uh, this debacle turning into a real, real serious problem, a deal not getting done. And God forbid Grandpa Biden invoking the 14th Amendment, which would be an absolute well, disaster. Talk, that's, that's, let's be honest, guys, everybody out there. We've, we talked about this on our Sunday show. Technically, people, a lot of Democrats have urged, the, and some liberal pundits are urging the president to invoke the 14th Amendment, which has in its fourth part in it, that the U.S. must honor all legitimate debts, which was designed to honor debts after the Civil War, never been used for a debt default, not intended to be used. And I don't even think Grandpa Joe and his team will go there because the Supreme Court will unanimously shut that down. With it. Now, that won't be good for the markets. Because the chaos will ensue. Mark, I think this song we should have for the death default should be Take It to the Limit by the Eagles. Yeah, it, it, it could be. Right. And, and look. Take it to the limit one more I, time. I think, unfortunately, Rob, I, I you know, I don't put it past this administration to invoke the 14th Amendment. Um, and and, it, and it has, you're right, it has not been used in conjunction with the debt ceiling. It's about budget impasse, right? So that's that's where the little technicality and legality uh, nuance uh, comes into play. But I wouldn't put it past them. And again, the numbers not moving in favor of what I said on Sunday when I took a far more casual approach as to whether or not this was a reality. Um, and and it's and uh, not a good thing. I, I want to point out, by the way, that while we are doing our uh, Twitter spaces, we are number two to some guy named Elon Musk. Uh, talking with a CEO of a little company named Ford. Now we know why. Ford announcing that um, Ford EVs will use Tesla's charging technology in a surprise partnership between otherwise rival automakers. If we could get someone, Patrick, from the production team to pin that tweet. Um, but that's why uh, Elon is hosting a competitive space to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. I'm going to send him a strongly worded email. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. Hey, John Nigerian, let me bring you into the debt conversation for a second. So, you know, I, I, you have all talked about the markets sort of not taking this seriously. Now the markets are starting to. What happens in the next week when they realize, I'm not going to back down from my prognosis, that they don't have a deal? And they maybe get, say they're getting closer, but they don't. And, the, and everybody out there listening, the politics of this are bad. There are a handful of Republicans who are not going to bend if they don't get what they want, and they can blow the whole thing up. And apparently, Joe Biden doesn't appear like he's going to bend either. It's a game of chicken. But so what happens, John, if the markets now start realizing maybe this game of chicken doesn't look so good? I know we've talked about the long-term implications, but what happens in the next week? I think John is still muted, either internally or externally. Can we unmute John? Okay, well, Alex... You want to oh, I'm that? I'm not dipping my I'm in my this conversation that Mark started. Mark, you're gonna to have to answer your own. You're gonna to have to answer the own question. It's like you know you're you're catching your own path. Yeah, well, that, that's that's okay. As we figure out, uh, John, John, apparently, I'm I'm getting a breaking news that John is the only one that can unmute himself. John is in control of his own destiny. So, Doc, if you're listening. Um, please uh, come come back and join us in the in the land of the unmuted. Uh, but listen, um, while there's certainly been some positive uh, talk uh, coming from the Capitol Hill today that maybe they may have made some progress on the deal, there's unanimous consensus, something that we rarely get, a bipartisan view, that the hardest part of the negotiations are yet to come next week. And I think um, if these discussions continue to go as they have been, if the partisan uh, tenor continues to devolve, if uh, both parties continue to dig their heels in the sand and say, you know, this program's off the table, that program's off the table, this is a non-starter, that's a non-starter, we could see the market starting to price in a higher likelihood of a default. We could see that we could see volatility increase, which I think will probably happen as we get closer because as they've said by their own admission, and this is one time that you know the politicians aren't lying, 
Things will get worse before they get better. So I think we could see after this quiet Friday, John's absolutely right, the Friday before Memorial Day weekend, I go, remember, hearkening back to my early days on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange when I was just a tadpole. We traded in fractions and used paper and pen, uh, not to indicate how young I was or old I am now, that this is a traditionally tomorrow anticipated to be a traditionally quiet day, but things could heat up when we all come back and U.S. markets reopen on Tuesday morning. So, uh, and John has the mic again. Don't really need it much. Um, they were just finishing up some drapes that they're hanging here, which required some drilling. So rather than uh, subject the B3 nation to that, I thought it best just to mute it. Um, but Oh, come on. We want to hear your home improvement process. Sure. We're all into sure. that. Okay. Well, they did a fabulous job. I can post it up uh, on Better Homes and Gardens. It looks fabulous. But uh, I don't think a lot happens we probably get one three or 400 point downward move. But the big thing Rob asked, is this just long term or what's going to happen in the short term? Short term, almost nothing will happen because three or 400 point moves um, are not uncommon and they are not as big as they were when the market wasn't at uh, 4,200 for the S&P. So I think we're likely to see a one or a 2% move out of the S&P. But the big thing is that if indeed this does come to pass and the Supreme Court is asked to opine on the 14th Amendment and whether or not it's applicable and yada, yada, I think we're likely to see uh, that same 2011 bleed down into 2013 that we talked about on Sunday. Because it wasn't the, uh, the fact that Fitch downgraded us that took the market down 15%. It was what happened after uh, the downgrades occurred and after people started pricing in, okay, our uh, debts are going to be even more expensive to finance. And that's the worry here, of course, going into uh, the final days, which are probably still two weeks out, the final days, that is, before we actually do face uh, a time when we can't meet our obligation. Real quick, and then, John, I want to get your take on in our Fantastic Future segment. But is there, I'm just trying to be an optimist here, is there any upside if if we if we come close to a default? Is there anything that happens that's an upside longer term that we come out of it in a positive way, or is it just purely negative? Well, I guess uh, uh, the libertarian among us might say the positive might be that they actually do take they're spending seriously. Um, you know, Warren Buffett famously said that uh, I can get them to balance the budget every every year. How's that, Mr. Buffett? Well, I'd say if you don't balance the budget, you can't run again. You're out. This is your last, you know, you're serving your last uh, time in Congress, which would be an intelligent thing to do, I think. But uh, unfortunately, they don't really care about uh, what's best for the country or intelligent, they will just keep extending the debt limit, even if it's by a small amount, they'll just keep extending it. And that just doesn't solve the problem that we have a spending problem, not um, a collecting problem. Right. And Alex, quickly, we've talked about this before, but there is an upside in the crypto space, right? We definitely see Bitcoin gain traction the more damage, the more damage the U.S. government does to the dollar and to its credibility, the more positives there are for Bitcoin. Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, we've discussed this at nauseum before. It, it, it really is a, a talk of light, and um, it just puts Bitcoin more on that platform, which is already accelerated by the fact that uh, presidential candidates have uh, done so so far uh, going into this new race. Uh, by putting Bitcoin on the platform. So the exposure is immense. More people are understanding it. And uh, we've already seen during the regional banking crisis, people make a flight to it and raise the price. Um, and that's going to bring prosperity to the, to the market. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little about Ron DeSantis. And and uh, notice, Mark, I said his name right this time. Ron DeSantis and, uh, and, and his endorsement of Bitcoin a little later, later on the show. You're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain. Twitter spaces. We do this 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time Tuesday and Thursday. 
We're also bringing in a Sunday edition, and we've got a B3 after show that goes on after this for an hour. So we hope you'll stick around for that. Please follow us at Get Rev Radio, retweet the space, and follow all our speakers. John, just a quick update. The Fantastic Future segment is all you. What's happening in OATs right now? Um, well, OAT is similar in some ways to a number of uh, the commodities. And so when this Fantastic Futures comes about, it comes about because we're watching um, futures, in particular softs, which many might call them. And uh, of course, it's because you have metals and you have crude oil and so forth. So energy complex as well. But in terms of uh, things that humans primarily uh, uh, use in uh, producing product for food chain, uh, oats are actually down on the year, Rob. So they had a little rally today. Um, they have had scant few rallies this year, 2023. And yet I would bet that a lot of oat-related products are still up as much as some of the uh, products that actually have boomed just because they can. Uh, in other words, the inflation um, is not just because the inputs went up. The inflation is because they think they can get away with charging more um, and because demand has not slacked for foodstuffs, not yet. So they're able to demand higher prices for various oat-related products, and they're getting it. So even though the oats are down about a single-digit uh, year-to-date, Rob, the futures were up about 3% today. Um, and uh, we just thought it was interesting on the futures side of things to pay attention to the inputs are not the whole story. I call them OATs, John. I don't know about that. You know, OATs. I'll go with that. OAT. <laughs> oh, oats. Oats. I, what... I like my oats. No, it's really interesting. Listen, I learn everything. It's really interesting, John, because there's been a, you know a fair amount of talk, and it's something we've covered on the show about whether or not there's a looming. Uh, a bull market in agricultural commodities that might come out of, uh, you know, how the market's been performing over the past couple of months, you know, leading into the summer, and it just doesn't seem like it's lining up that way. And and this these latest figures in terms of uh, oats prices seems to indicate that that might not be an accurate prognostication. Interest interesting point. Hey, Mark. FOMC, that's a different version of FOMA. The Fed's minutes has disagreement among Fed, Fed officials. So we talked about this in the last couple of Twitter spaces. And I was probably, again, the outlier in saying, I'm not, I'm not convinced they're pausing. Are they pausing? Are we pausing? What does the discord mean among them in the June meeting? Well, listen, so, you know, it's, it's not so much news. We got the transcripts of the meeting, which we always get, you know, a few weeks after. Um, and and we're talking, of course, uh, not about the upcoming June meeting, um, as, but but the meeting that that was several weeks ago, where we had that twenty five basis point hike, and folks pouring through these minutes uh, found out that there was actually more disagreement than I think folks had anticipated in terms of whether or not there should be a pause or additional rate hikes were required. Um, and so it's now the, those minutes uh, that many traders, investors, and analysts spend a lot of time tearing apart are now giving folks reason to question whether or not we really do have enough consensus for a pause. And then, of course, you throw it in June, that is June 13 and 14, the next FOMC meeting. And, of course, you throw in the uncertainty occasioned by the debt ceiling debacle, and, and I keep calling it that because I like the alliteration, um, it, it even uh, causes and pulls into question uh, whether or not the Fed will do what I expect they will do and have expected they will do, which is explicitly adopt the pause at the next meeting as opposed to disavow the pause as they did at the previous meeting. Um, and, it, and it seems like the market is indicating that the odds of a 25 basis point increase um, in July – heaven forbid, has gone up to 50% versus 33% just a short week ago. That is a dramatic, dramatic rise. So um, we may not... Does the debt, Mark, does the debt... 
Does the debt, does this debt, as we get closer to this, and if they, they continue to stall on this, which I think they will, does that affect the Fed's decision on on whether to pause or not? Um, it, you know what, Rob? I think it will. Um, I think it will, and I think it could. Uh, and, but it, but it all depends on, you know, whether or not uh, they let it go all the way to the limit, and whether or not stupid things are done to extend, you know, beyond the point in time. I think June first is still that X date. John, has has anybody updated that June first X date that Yellen suggested recently, or no? We're still working off of June first. Um, I don't believe she has updated it, but I know uh, a number of folks including, you know, my brother Pete's kind of somewhat tight with Neil Kashkari. And uh, I think that the uh, the number is somewhere in the middle of June, not the first of June, um, based on what I've heard from Pete. So, you know, is it the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th? Is it the 15th? I don't know. I'm sure she'll play some games, Mark, with, uh, you know, holding off on certain payments that uh, she can, uh, but ultimately, again, we all know we're not going to default on our debt, uh, but it could be late by a couple days, depending on. Market master predictions, real quick, John, are you still still buying that there's a pause? Yes, I'm still 100% on the pause. Mark, you're still 100% on the pause? Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I, I am. I, I don't think that I've changed my opinion. Um, I reserve the right to change my opinion next week if the, if, if the debt ceiling debacle goes to debt ceiling chicanery or, or another word that I'm probably going to be um, uh, censored if I use it. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. And Alex Mazzioli? Whoa, whoa, are you whoa, whoa, whoa. No, not at all. I'm going against my, my brethren here. And saying that one, we have a twenty-five basis point hike uh, on the next uh, round, and uh, if anybody's paying attention, the future interest index speculative measure for the Fed rate is up to seventeen percent. That we get two twenty-five basis hike uh, point hikes before the end of the year. Wow. Alex, doubling. He doubled, Alex, like he's doubling. Alex dropping into the TradFi segment. Uh, wow. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm swinging for the fences on this one. I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. Wow. By the way, I'd also, wow. also like right. to, to thank and welcome everybody that left. Um, Elon Musk, I believe is how his last name is pronounced, uh, that he had this other Twitter space is going. Thank you all for joining us. Far more interesting. We do not have any announcements about Ford partnerships, but I guarantee it'll be more fun. Or a presidential announcement. But yeah, oh. and you're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter spaces. <laughs> Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Tweet out the space. John, NVIDIA, we've been talking about it. They they 25% up. Obviously, you know, there's it's it's AI, but perhaps it's more as well. What's the deal? Well, um, AI is certainly the new thing. Um uh, and NVIDIA has been lucky enough, Rob, to have several of these new, new things along the way, from data centers to um, uh, gaming. Obviously, gaming was a very significant driver for them a decade ago, and it lasted up until uh, all of a sudden everybody who was mining crypto really needed the NVIDIA chips. And then all of a sudden, the mining sort of slowed down, or at least the purchase of these uh, very, very uh, fast chips slowed down dramatically. And as that happened, they were lucky enough to have uh, chat GPT become the buzzword of 2023. And now their uh, CFO said today, Rob, that uh, they have visibility, they think, well into 2024 for massive demand. Um, you know, this was one of those things that uh, was uh, just, you know, for, for a company that's in the hundreds of billions of dollars to make a 30% move is amazing. It happens, um, but it is nonetheless still amazing when they're able to do that. And that's just what they did. Their guidance was so superior to what anybody on the street was looking for that it just caused the stock to rocket to the upside. And luckily, Rob, 
there were a number of people that were long uh, upside calls, a lot of uh, uh, speculative buys that our heat seeker picked up over at Market Rebellion. And there's a lot of happy people who are subscribers that jumped on that bandwagon because a $5 option went to $80, $80. So, you know, the, that's a 16-fold increase like, like that in your investment. So if you put $10,000 down, you made $160,000. That's how that works. And it's mean to John. Thank you, Patrick. And it seems, John, like, you know, when I talked to you earlier on Roundtable, we talked a little about, I made the analogy to the semiconductors in the 80s. It seems like, you know, NVIDIA is not going anywhere, right? There's a lot of demand for these for these AI chips, and they're going to not just be in generative AI, right? I mean, it is the next generation of chip technology. Am I wrong? No, it is. You're right. And um, it uh, again, if you had to ask ChatGPT a question, and it took considerably longer for you to get an answer or any of the other AIs that are out there now. Um, if it if it was something where you really had to wait a while to get the answer, um, it would not be nearly as popular as it is. And if you're somebody who's making, uh, you know, putting together um, a website and you're using a, uh, a cloud-based uh uh, server to pump out that information to receive it and pump it out. You're somebody who really wants to make sure that it's running on those NVIDIA chips. And like I say, the CFO said that he said demand out of these data centers has been incredible. And again, I think that's uh, just a, uh, a fantastic reason to own the stock. Uh, and it's almost Rob like that old analogy about picks and shovels were where people made money other than Levi Strauss in the gold rush, selling picks, shovels, and blue jeans. Well, in order to get AI to work correctly and work at, at highest speed, apparently you need NVIDIA chips, and that's a very good thing for them. Can I, and, uh, Rob, can I jump in ahead. here quickly? Just a couple things. You know, one... Um, a, a big, big kudos to John and the folks over at Market Rebellion uh, because you guys did see the unusual option activity. You did report that to the subscribers. I, I am one of them. Um, so really showing the power not only of what you guys do over there at Market Rebellion, but the power of trading with options, which is not for, for the amateur or the unindoctrinated. And we are, I'm going to tease out, we are going to start introducing a segment on the show um, at some point in time uh, for about three minutes that's got sort of a educational element to it where we're going to consider certain things like basics of option trading, understanding the yield curve, uh, what does it mean uh, when the yield curve is inverted because we feel that you know we want to sort of continue to fulfill that mission of improving everybody's financial literacy and education. So uh, kudos to you on that, John. The other thing I'll say, and I'm going to be taking notes during that se during that that three minute tutorial. Probably a good idea. Um, you know, and the the other thing that I'll I'll point out is it doesn't take AI to uh, understand why um, Nvidia and its Nvidia's outlook is as rosy as it is because it is a data infrastructure play, right? Because AI or no AI, we're still creating data at that rate of zettabytes. We're still uh, creating data at an exponential rate every day with everything that we do with our smartphones, our smart devices, our connected homes. That is not going to stop regardless of what happens with the feckless Fed. The only thing that I have a little bit of a concern about, and it's an indicia of market uh, psychology, and I'd like John and or Alex to comment on this. We've just come out of this earnings season where conservatism and downward guidance uh, was was the rule of the day, right? I, I was asked on on my show on SiriusXM this morning on Wharton Business Daily, um, shameless plug for that. Uh, well, why is it that seventy plus percent? I think the number is still trending around seventy five percent of companies that reported this earnings season met or exceeded the street's expectations against this backdrop of a rather dim picture for the American consumer with credit card debt inflation, wage stagflation, all those wonderful things we talk about. And the answer is 
because there was very significant conservatism in terms of guidance from the prior quarters as CEOs got wise as they try to navigate this inflationary and recessionary environment. And secondarily, because Wall Street analysts revised their estimates to the downside. So expectations were significantly reduced. I would say very significantly reduced. And that's why you had 73 or 4% of the companies meeting or beating expectations because they were already, the bar was set so low. So against that backdrop, John, maybe tossing it to you, we are suddenly so willing to, 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 to take this company, and you're right, with this kind of market cap and stock price to experience a 24-plus percent day is very unusual, but we're willing suddenly to do that on the basis of forward guidance? Like, we went from, we don't care about forward guidance, be conservative, uh, downwardly revised, um, uh, under-promise and over-deliver, and, and beat the hell out of tech companies that were, uh, you know, whose valuations were premised entirely on forward guidance and forward-looking statements. But because it's NVIDIA and AI, all of a sudden it's okay. Is this a trend? Are we going back to, like, bet on the future versus today? Or is this unique to NVIDIA? Is this unique to AI stocks? Because I'm trying to figure it out myself. Well, well, hey, John, before you answer okay. that, it tied into that is – it, wouldn't it make sense when you're looking even at the chip part of this that gaming, you know, ga like games are going to have to incorporate some kind of AI. They're going to need more powerful gaming chips in computers as well, right? I don't know if that's an NVIDIA thing, but sort of ties into what Mark's saying. I mean, there's a lot more than just the the the, surf, the big AI stuff. Well, um, I, I, I'm not really qualified to comment on AI and how valuable it may be to uh, the gamers, it might be valuable to the, the game makers to help them make uh, and write code without quite as many people. Uh, that could be the case. But I, again, I'm not really qualified to make that statement yet. But I would say that uh, uh, Mark is right, that earnings have, for the most part, been, um, uh, they lowered the bar pretty significantly because of the threat of recession and the economy slowing down. And some companies, I mean, Pete and I were talking about Nutanix this morning. It's an enterprise cloud player. Um, and they had 11% growth of top line. So in other words, they didn't just beat a lowered number. Um, they actually grew double digits, 11%, and put up a number that was something like... Uh, you know, 430 million versus 400 million in rev uh, for the quarter, year over year. Um, that's the sort of company that I, I agree, Mark, that I want to bet on. They didn't offer the same sort of upside guidance that NVIDIA did, but the stock was still up double digits today. So I, I would certainly be willing to bet with companies like NVIDIA when they make as bold a statement as they made. And yet we know from virtually every analyst on the street that this is the chip that is in that kind of demand. Um, I, I don't know of another comparison that I could use um, for NVIDIA as far as the, uh, the, the demand by both data centers as well as um, the folks that are uh, coding and making the AI out there, that how desperate they are to get their hands on these chips, and thus the uh, push all the way out into mid-2024 for the guidance that they gave today. So even even we'll some indications. Hang on, Rob. Even some indications out to 2027 from some of what was in that in the CEOs. I, I'm just so curious because. You know, these are some of the Mark, we've seen this out. before, man. Well, that's my question, brother. No, we we we've seen this before, and 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 let's compromise it into two things. One, what you and John are saying, which is Nvidia is a chip maker, and they're a great chip maker, and they make awesome products that power really great things. And then let's go to the AI, and the three of us have lived through this with the dot-com. I mean, you start looking at companies in dot-com era that went public and what their forward-looking guidance was and how the price reacted to it, right? Same with though, now we have a new thing. It's AI, right? It's new to us. And 
listen, this is the trend. If 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 earnings reports with guidance of the century are going to be outlaid, and I think they will, to your point, Mark, continue to do this, people just trade the trend. But that's all it is. It doesn't need to make sense. It didn't make sense 20 years ago when we were trading uh, internet stocks. It's not going to make sense for the next six months as we trade AI. I that's a great point. Hey, guys, I'm making us move on because I want to get to the crypto segment. We're just going to do one quick more TradFi thing. And sort of on that earnings report, Mark, Gap, you know, didn't do well, didn't do well, and yet it didn't hurt them, right? So the mediocre earnings report, and they still go up 14%. Kind of plays right off what Alex is saying. Are, do we put too much emphasis just on the earnings report? Because Gap's saying, look, we're making progress. Well, Is that what investors care more you about? Know, the, so the, 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 the question here is, um, and I was very surprised, and, I, and I'm surprised to see the market bidding gap up as much as it is in the after hours. My suspicion is that that cools off, that doesn't last into tomorrow's open. Um, they were uh, uh, fairly disappointing numbers, but the market um, actually giving gap, I think, the benefit of the doubt here on the basis of all of its cost-cutting measures, right? Um, pretty substantial cost-cutting measures. 1,800 employees uh, being laid off. Uh, a, a forward uh, announcement, um, 500 uh, layoffs announced in September, um, cutting even at the top in the executive suite, 25% of, of um, employment and executive roles at its headquarters. And the question really comes down to whether or not these kinds of cost cutting, which we've seen across the board, not only at retail, but also at technology shops, are actually effective in in um, uh, fighting back against declining consumer consumer demand, which of course were evident online sales down nine percent year over year, in store sales down four percent year over year, so not great numbers. I'm also curious to know who still shops at the Gap. I don't think I've been in a Gap since I was a freshman in college, which of course was only a couple of years ago. But that's a whole that's a different conversation. There is a flagship there is a flagship store in 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 Puerto Rico about it. Hey, if you're listening, I want everyone out there to know B3 Nation. We are doing a Beyond B3 show right after this. And stick around for it. We we like to get audience involvement, expand your participation. We're going to move that into this 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 second hour. So if you have questions, start queuing them up, get ready because we will be taking audience questions um with with Josh Carey, our host of that. Um Alex, we got to talk about some crypto stuff. It's past our crypto block. And I was super excited listening to DeSantis on Twitter just to watch the experience. Um, and he obviously, we're going to talk about the fact that he he did a shout out to Bitcoin and how he would support it. More fascinating to me at the top of that was how much, how much you know, blowback there was from a lot in the mainstream media, left and right, to the fact that the Twitter space crashed and what a failure it was. And I'm thinking... I don't know how you come away with a failure when you just got the biggest news story in the world right now and you, you ended up having, you know, millions of people listening. But that said, it was an innovative way to launch. And it, it makes sense. These candidates are all getting into Bitcoin. I mean, more and more, you're certainly seeing the Republican candidates all endorsing it. And, and RFK, who's was a Democratic candidate. Well, I mean, one, we spoke about this Sunday. Let's take the fact that, you know, uh, Elon um, obviously colluded with uh, DeSantis to have him on to be able to launch his campaign, right? Kudos to Elon for being business smart and showing off the most powerful uh, speech platform there is right now. And kudos to DeSantis for recognizing that. And I think we're going to see more of that uh, as this political race goes on. It may not be Elon interview, you know, being on with people. He obviously doesn't like everybody. But the candidates need to understand that at this moment during this race, this is the platform that everybody is tuning into. Um, hence why we we stream the B3 Nation uh, stuff here. But going to the Bitcoin phrase, Ron DeSantis brought up Bitcoin during that hour long uh, conversation um, and you know wants to protect Bitcoin. He wants to uh, be the champion of of the rights of crypto traders and all this stuff. And it's not far. He's not the first uh, RFK Jr. Who is currently running for president uh, said this very early on. It is a platform that Bitcoin was something that he wanted to protect and, and nourish in going into this 
uh, you know, into this race. But the thing is, over the last couple of years, we've seen too many high profile people, whether it's rappers, politicians, movie stars, uh, mention the word Bitcoin, particularly on Twitter, in order to gain clout. And if there's something that people need to watch out for, it's clout chasing. So when you have your favorite rapper and he says, hey, I'm into Bitcoin now. Hey, the guy obviously had a dud of a record previous go around and wants uh, eyeballs. You kind of have to take pause when a politician's doing that because we've seen this with, uh, you know, with Gary Poser Gensler, who taught blockchain at uh, MIT, was very pro crypto, gets into his post. And once he's in his post, he forgets who his friends were. Okay. We need to remember that this could happen with politicians. I, I'm not for or against DeSantis, I'm not for or against RFK Jr., but let's not be baited into false promises. It's a good point, Alex, but here would be my question. And, you know, and, and I, as you guys know, I interviewed RFK Jr. at Bitcoin Miami, did a, the only exclusive sit down one on one with him. He understands Bitcoin really well. And he understands it, you know, he reckons it back to his his uncle, J, JFK, who, you know, took on the Fed in various ways and with the silver certificates and all that, but as a check against central bank overreach. I think DeSantos may know more than most politicians about it. He's in Florida and you see a lot of, you know, Miami's very crypto friendly. But I mean, it's well, fair to say against, that they need. He's against, he's against CBDCs too, which he's come out to say. But I'm sorry, continue. No, no, I was just going to say, do you think perhaps, I hear your point, don't take them to, you know, they're going to say what they say and whether they, you know, and same on the other side. But there may be a reality here that, that more and more politicians are seeing that this is an asset class and this is, an, a lot of people are concerned about CBDCs, you know, even on the left, you know, even on the progressive front, do you see that? Listen, you have two great experts here, uh, Mark Lepresti and John and Jerry who can go into uh, the weeds when it comes to politicians and what they do right and what they've done wrong, particularly over the last, call it, eight years. But this, all I'm saying is the average American Joe has been um, catfished a lot of times, and I don't want any of these people falling for somebody who's just using it as a platform. If DeSantis, if DeSantis or RFK Jr. comes through and continues the conversation, then great. And after election, if one of them is lucky enough to be elected, keeps following through with that conversation, great. I'm just saying we don't see that too many times. Yeah, well, and what would that be, Mark and John? And by the way, you know, RFK said to me, the first, Mark, you will love this, the first thing I will do as president is replace Gary Kensler. Um, I don't know if it's literally the first thing, but that's what he said. But what would we want to see um, what, that a president actually could do other than just, you know, use the bully pulpit on this? There's a number of things that, the pres that a president could do, right? There's a number of things that could be affected by executive order. There's a lot of things that could be affected by, by changing appointed positions like SEC chair and, and other things. That can have a dramatic impact on, on the on the course and the progress of new technologies and the maintenance of, of American freedoms and, and the types of freedoms that are at risk in a very real way by the advent of, of a CBDC here in this country, which I've been pretty vocal about. Um, and you know, I, I don't I, I am I hope I'm not as sanguine as as um, Market Master Messioli. That's the triple M. This is B three and beyond B three. That's the that's the M3, not the car, the Alex Massioli, Market Master Massioli. I'm not as sanguine as he is about whether or not DeSantis is sincere. Um, I think he is pro-crypto. I think he is pro-Bitcoin. Um, and I think as a, as a conservative Republican um, would be perhaps a little bit more pro um, actually giving market participants a clear set of the rules of the road as opposed to suggesting that we abide by a map that was printed in 1933 that has no application to the current landscape. So, but we'll see. I, I, I have a, I think I have a healthy dose of skepticism. How about you, Doc? Um, yeah, I, I think so. I, I, I don't know that crypto is a big enough um, vote getter for any of these guys, um, but I do think that they will all 
and I do mean all, uh, from Biden and Kennedy to Trump and DeSantis and everybody else that jumps in, they will all take crypto donations. Um, but it's pretty clear that the Democrats are lining up right now against uh, crypto because they really would like CBDCs. Um, and that is what I think a lot of Americans fear are those central bank digital currencies and the, the control that comes with um, a digital currency versus um, paper money and a bank account. John, last question on this. Beyond, beyond, not beyond B3, that's coming up, guys. Um, beyond, beyond replacing the SEC chair, beyond trying to get at least a crypto neutral SEC, maybe dealing with the CFTC, is there anything obvious to you that a president could do other than be talking about it? Um, I, you know, we, obviously you need Congress to do any legislative stuff. That a president would have any ability to shift from an appointing perspective other than those two that would matter? Well, if, if, if a sitting president actually came out uh, in favor of uh, cryptocurrencies, um, he or she could make an awful lot of things happen that would be extremely positive. Um, the question is, though, if they're just doing it, I mean, you know, I, I take you at your word that Kennedy understands it and that if he was the person in charge may truly support it. I think that's uh, something that would be a significant driver because right now the 17% of crypto that is U.S.-based um, traders, investors, hodlers, um, would grow dramatically if it weren't for the folks that are lined up against them, whether it's Operation Chokehold or just the lack of uh, clarity from the regulators. So I, I, I would think that the president would have a lot of power to uh, push cryptos in the right direction. Yeah, and look, at a minimum here- John, who's the, the biggest player in the world? Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler. See, it's 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 so true uh, that uh, Rob doesn't even need to ask me the question. Alex asks Not the question, no. and Rob answers it. <laughs> exactly. We it's like we can we can we know the answer here now. It's but we're gonna keep we're gonna keep reminding it. We're gonna have that meme go, and we should have an NFT around it. Hey, Alex, let's talk about AI themed uh, cryptocurrencies getting a boost after the Nvidia after nvidia's you know jump 25 percent. yeah absolutely I, and, and i'll make this quick i know we got time um coming down but uh so we had a bunch of uh ai related cryptos making boost singularity net uh ticker agix uh it got high as 8.75 percent on the trade chain dashboards to 29 cents with cortex ctxc rose 7.2 percent uh, to 18 cents, um, as well as MDT and 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 Fetch AI, uh, all bits. But you know, one of the uh, one of the big things today was the fact that the uh, CEO of OpenAI, Sam Altman, okay, uh, has raised 115 million dollars uh, for his project Worldcoin. Um, and Sam Altman famously came out and said he has no equity stake in uh, OpenAI, which is behind Chat G GPT, um, which I'm still trying to dig to the bottom of why that is. But uh, just to go show you that after we go through a tremendous winter with a lot of fraud, a lot of bankruptcies, the OpenAI uh, narrative to Mark's point before with the stocks is 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 in full force 115 million dollars for worldcoin and if you don't know what worldcoin does it, it's going to be like almost a, it's like a digital identity type coin where it's going to record people's private information through whether it's iris scanning and other things um which i still find very dangerous uh in the world of cataloging the that from individuals um but it's been around for a couple of years. It just hasn't made headlines until uh, ChatGPT became famous. But hey, Alex, you know you mentioned that a lot of the Bitcoin market, the volatility was low. It was flat, flat market. Yep. These crypto, the AI themed cryptocurrencies were doing great, right? Well, I mean, they probably have been the most volatile. 
to be honest with you. So they've had their ups and downs. Um, but you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say great, but for for swing traders, they've been making very good gains. Um, but we haven't been moving forward uh you know up and up and up on a consistent level listen we talked about the beginning of the hour uh with bitcoin and that thirty thousand dollar resistance level um we really need bitcoin to to kind of catapult its way there and then have some of that profit taking capitulate into all coins such as the ai coins Awesome. Well, guys, here we are. This is the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces. Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Sundays, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. We are now, and I want to thank everybody, our sponsor, Infinite Reality, Mark, John, Alex. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.